electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, and I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast... is a huge victory for us, for our investors, for really the crypto community and the investment community as a whole. Michael Sonnenschein, CEO of Grayscale, the crypto firm that won its lawsuit against the SEC. What it means for the crypto crowd. Coming out of this most recent crypto winter, the investment community has never been more certain that crypto as an asset class is here to stay. They want access to it. And X allowing political ads once again. Puck News founder Teddy Schleifer on the election season still to come. Elon and Linda Yaccarino especially are going to be in the hot seat. So uh, welcome to the Thunderdome because every decision they make is going to be under a microscope. Plus, but watch what's been happening. The market's shrugging off an August slump. The whole um, bad news is good news only gets you so far. Apple's new camera, BK's misleading Whopper, and Tesla's troubling autopilot. And why would you ever want to put your car in Elon mode? It's Wednesday, August 30th, 2023. Elon mode could go anywhere. And Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Mike Santoli and Robert Frank. Joe and Andrew are both off today, but guys, welcome. Good to be here. Good to see you guys. Another big day of gains for stocks yesterday. The Dow was up by almost 300 points in yesterday's session. That was a gain of about eight-tenths of a percent or so. S&P was up by nearly one and a half percent. The Nasdaq was up by one and three quarters percent. And, and guys, this is when people were looking at the month of August as OK. Not a great month. Been a pullback. But watch what's been happening. You've got yeah. uh, back above 50 day moving averages again. And uh, if you thought you were going to get a pullback, you missed your chance already. You know, possibly. That's true. <laughs> it was pretty benign if that was it. Yeah. About five percent all told. Uh, we've now regained in the S&P 500 more than half of the total peak to trough decline. Uh, you just mentioned about the 50-day moving average. Everything about that, that move lower in yields, uh, at least yesterday. The reflex move was we got softer than expected labor market uh, data from the JOLTS, Jolts report. Yeah. Uh, okay, we can have this very, very beneficial cooling of the labor market. Maybe the Fed's, the Fed's done. Yields come down back into their old range. Now, um, I, I do think, again, it makes sense. But the whole um, bad news is good news only gets you so far. And I don't think it was bad news. Everyone wants the pendulum to stop halfway from a super tight labor market to a perfectly Goldilocks one. We'll see. We'll see what happens with it. We're going to talk about yields in just a second. But before we do, NVIDIA was actually up by 4.2 percent yesterday. Talk about big gainers. It closed at a new record after the chipmaker announced a partnership with Google that could expand distribution of its AI technology. That, by the way, is part of the reason that you saw technology stocks being the biggest gainers yesterday. The Nasdaq, again, up by about one and three quarters percent. Then the Treasury yields that Mike was just talking about. This was the big story. This was what moved everything yesterday. Significant declines in those yields. The 10-year right now is uh, well below 4.2 percent. It's sitting at 4.15. And the two-year is actually below 5 percent at 4.9 and uh, a little bit of change there. 
Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it certainly took the edge off. Four and a quarter has been that number on the 10-year that people have been fixated on. It's kind of the October highs. I think anything that says, oh, we're not running away, mortgage rates aren't going to blast through uh, higher than they are right now, uh, it That's sort of high. just addresses the really acute fears we've been dealing with for a while. Apple announced it will hold a press event at its headquarters in Cupertino, California on September 12th. Expected to announce a new version of the iPhone. Big surprise there. Among anticipated changes, a switch to the USB-C charging port. Yet we need another one following a new EU requirement. Some of the new Apple devices could reportedly be made of titanium. That would be cool. Apple shares up more than 40% year to date. I just need the new camera because I'm, I'm two yeah. versions behind on the camera with two lenses instead of the three for the pro. Will anyone be able to tell the difference? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I think I, you'll I, notice I'm it. Yeah. Where I finally notice it. it's like, wait a second, you took that same picture. Yours is yeah. way better than mine. Yeah. Um, I've got a little bit of camera envy these it days. It is amazing that that has become like the edge of what people <laughs> right. actually notice as the feature for your phone. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's how you document your entire life That's and they true. save it all on the Apple cloud. Pretty soon there'll be like 12 lenses on that. I only have one. Yeah. Oh, I'm man. back at iPhone. But wow. I was like, this will all be lenses at some point. It'd be 12 of them. You, you got to get, get that developed. You yeah. send that out, so, you know, the yeah, I, photo I map. The third. I thought I was cool with this one, but I need the third. You I need the noticed. better images so that the AI can train on all of our faces. And we can... Exactly. All right. In the meantime, a setback for Burger King. A U.S. judge rejected a bid to dismiss a lawsuit claiming that it cheated hungry customers by making its Whopper sandwich appear larger than it actually is. The judge said that the restaurant has to defend against the claim that its depiction of Whoppers on in-store menu boards misled reasonable customers, amounting to a breach of contract. The lawsuit says that the photos portray the burgers with ingredients that, quote, overflow over the bun, making it look like the burgers are 35% larger and contain more than double the meat than the chain serves. Burger King, which is owned by Restaurant Brands International, has argued that it wasn't required to deliver burgers that look exactly like the pictures. If everybody's held to that standard, you're going to see some very interesting things. When's the last time you got something in a fast food place that looked like it did up on the screen? Uh, McDonald's, Wendy's, and Taco Bell are defending against similar lawsuits in federal court and Smells an awful lot like a class action lawsuit that the lawyers cooked up on this one. Yeah. You wonder how much the individual damages could possibly be. 12 cents for you. Yeah, exactly. If you're well enough to write in and say this is what I I deserve and what I was able to prove that I got these burgers. Um, Yeah, come on. Tesla is facing increased scrutiny from federal regulators over its autopilot system. Investigators from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration said yesterday in a letter that they had become aware of an autopilot configuration that would allow drivers to operate their vehicles for extended periods without prompting drivers to put their hands on the steering wheel. The agency said Tesla had replied confidentially to its request for information in time for last Friday's deadline for a response. This follows... A CNBC report from June that a security researcher found a secret setting that enabled full self-driving mode without the steering wheel nag, as they call it, function. The researcher nicknamed the feature Elon Mode, but noted that isn't the company's internal name for it. Shares of Tesla were up more than 7% in yesterday's session in that rally, now up more than 100% uh, year-to-date. 
You see also in L.A., they just got approval for the Tesla diner, like a 24-hour diner and a drive-in oh. movie theater. That right? Yeah. Which, While you charge? Is that the idea? I, that's a good question. Yeah. But it's like a Tesla-themed, Tesla-built thing. And why would you ever want to put your car in Elon mode? <laughs> well, I think... <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Elon mode could go anywhere at any time. Right. But don't you... But there is a complete mission at the company driven by him. He thinks robo-taxis are the only yeah. future for humankind. Right. So I guess in theory you no, need that these cars sense, to have that capacity. So unpredictable I would have chosen a different name. No, they didn't choose the name. I guess it was just the, <laughs> yeah. the engineers were, were goofing Trying around. To get it ready yeah. to go for them. Yeah. Right. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, a U.S. appeals court siding with crypto over the SEC. Crypto community rejoice. And they did, analyzing the win for spot Bitcoin ETFs and the CEO of the firm that won its lawsuit against the SEC, Grayscale head Michael Sonnenschein. When we think about the novelty of digital assets and the fact that investors want access to them, the ability to gain access to it in a wrapper that they know, to have it sit alongside all of their other investments, be made available for tax-advantaged accounts, you know, these are the types of things that investors want. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. If you haven't heard by now or gotten an email alert from your Coinbase or Robinhood accounts, the crypto community scored a big win this week. The U.S. District Court of Appeals sided with crypto firm Grayscale in its lawsuit against the SEC. Let's break down why that matters. It all started over a year ago when Grayscale applied to convert its Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, or GBTC, into an ETF. The SEC denied the application, as it has denied all applications for Bitcoin ETFs so far, including those of Invesco, Fidelity, BlackRock, and Kathy Wood's ARK Invest, among others. Grayscale is the only one that took legal action after the rejection. Now, all of these applicants are hoping to improve access to crypto. A spot Bitcoin ETF would track Bitcoin's underlying market price. The ETF managers, that would be Grayscale or ARK or Invesco, etc., would own the asset, giving investors in the ETF exposure to Bitcoin without having to own it directly. So why say no? The SEC has approved Bitcoin futures, which are traded on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and also rely on tracking Bitcoin performance. But for ETFs, the SEC has said the applications 
do not meet fraud and investor protection standards. In the lawsuit ruling, the court said the SEC's argument doesn't hold. Here's how Blockchain Association CEO Kristen Smith explains it. What the court found here is that it was arbitrary and capricious for the SEC to grant the Bitcoin futures applications, but not the Bitcoin spot applications. So the SEC could come back and find other reasons why they don't want to um, approve those applications, but they can't use that reasoning because the Bitcoin futures market is highly, highly coordinated with the Bitcoin spot market. And so that justification doesn't work. You have to realize that these, these products are registered as securities. There's a tremendous amount of disclosure and information that's made available to investors and the public through this process. And so we think that there are a lot of consumer protections built into that. So is a spot Bitcoin ETF coming to the NASDAQ or NYSE? Eh, Not before a few things are resolved. The SEC could appeal the court's decision. It could approve those other ETF applications, or it could delay action on any of it until the latest possible date, which would be January of 2024 at the earliest. The SEC could also change tack, as Kristen Smith said. That is, come up with a new argument why spot Bitcoin ETFs are a bad idea. Whatever happens, this is a step forward for crypto and for investor access to it. The morning after his court victory, Grayscale CEO Michael Sonnenschein swung by our set with Becky Quick, Mike Santoli, and Robert Frank to explain why it's such a win. Michael, welcome. Um, congratulations. This is a pretty big win for you. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. What does this mean for Grayscale now? What's the next step? Well, this is, you know, more than a year-long process. Last June, the SEC denied our application to convert GBTC to an ETF. We immediately filed a lawsuit, um, you know, went through briefs, went through oral arguments, and to yesterday receive an opinion from the court that unanimously had three judges all rule in our favor, vacating the SEC's denial order is a huge victory for us, for our investors, for really the crypto community and the investing community as a whole. Yeah, they they called this arbitrary and capricious, the SEC's decision to deny this, just based on the idea that the futures market and the spot price were pretty closely linked and it should be allowed to go ahead with that. The SEC says it is still looking into it. It does have the opportunity to appeal this, either to a full slate of judges on the D.C. court or to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, what happens? What, what could that mean? Because it could be an expensive fight to continue. Sure. So today marks day one of a 45-day process where the SEC can request a rehearing. Uh, we really have to be patient now and follow the federal rules of appellate procedure here during that time period. And ultimately, the court will issue a final mandate that will detail the operational next steps. Which means what from any investors in Grayscale or beyond? What, well, what, should, what are you looking at? What should they Yeah, I mean, in the interim during this 45-day period, our lawyers are working, you know, constructively, proactively with the SEC to pursue next steps as expeditiously as possible. We have to ensure that no one, especially the SEC, is not losing sight of the fact that there are nearly a million American investors who own GBTC today. So the patience that they've had inflicting any further harm on them, holding them back from bringing, you know, bringing GBTC further into the regulatory perimeter would be a really missed opportunity.
immunity and really directly violate the SEC's mandate. Everything goes your way. How quickly could you get the ETF up and running? Well, it really, again, depends on working proactively with the SEC. Throughout this process, you know, we have had what we would think of as a professional disagreement with the SEC. The very foundation of the Grayscale business is making, you know, crypto accessible through existing rules and regulations here in the U.S. And so we want to maintain that posture with the SEC, not only through this decision, but on a go-forward basis. You know, GBTC is just the first of many products that Grayscale has that all intend to eventually convert into ETFs and have a whole family of digital asset ETFs here in the U.S. What's the relationship like? You can describe it as a a professional disagreement, but everybody spent a lot of time on both sides of this, and and that can can lead to some contentious relationships. What would the the SEC like to see? What can you show them, perhaps, to, to maybe sway them in your favor? Well, I think we really have to point back to the court order yesterday. The court order, simply put, said, we agree with you. We agree with you, Grayscale, right? We have demonstrated, you know, multiple times that there's an inextricable tie between the Bitcoin futures and the Bitcoin spot market and the fact that the SEC has greenlighted multiple Bitcoin futures products but not spot products really does underscore that arbitrary and capricious decision-making that they had denying GBTC's conversion. Probably worth taking a moment to describe why it's important to convert to an ETF structure. So you have this trust. It can trade away from the Bitcoin, the value of the Bitcoin in your portfolio that you hold. So an ETF, in theory, would track it perfectly. We have a gold trust, has been around for almost 20 years. What's the advantage, though, really above and beyond being able to own Bitcoin directly? Because when it came to gold, I remember when they launched the Spider Gold Trust, you otherwise had to own it physically, you had to pay to store it, insure it, and everything else. Uh, You have a digital asset. Why is it important to have an ETF? And then, probably, if you get yours, many others out there creating fee compression problems. Sure. There's no question that the ETF wrapper is something that's tried and true here in the U.S., right? It's used for access to to gold, to stocks, to all different types of investments. And so when we think about the novelty of digital assets and the fact that investors want access to them, the ability to gain access to it in a wrapper that they know, to have it sit alongside all of their other investments, be made available for tax-advantaged accounts, you know, these are the types of things that investors want, not to mention the added protections, the disclosures, the reporting that come with being an ETF. You're still going to be able to charge 2% if it's an ETF? Well, we will certainly be lowering fees. You know, I've been on the show, discussed with Becky many times about our commitment to lowering fees uh, when GBTC does convert to an ETF. If you guys will have me back on, <laughs> I'll be here to talk about what GBTC's fee will be when the conversion does happen. But yeah, we have talked about it in the past. You mentioned legal fees were a real reason that they had to be so high. Are we talking about a halving of the fees? or what? Again, you if you'll have me back, I'll be the first <laughs> to announce it here on Squawk Box what the new fee will be. And Chair Gensler's point was that the spot price of Bitcoin is subject to manipulation and fraud. How is it going to be regulated? How are you going to assure investors that the price of Bitcoin is not going to be subject to manipulation or fraud? Well, if you actually look at our court order yesterday and a lot of the arguments we've put forward in front of the court throughout this process, as well as in front of the SEC over the past many years, what actually exists is surveillance sharing between the CME, where Bitcoin futures are traded, and national securities exchanges like the New York Stock Exchange, where we intend to list GBTC as an ETF. So the surveillance that the SEC is actually seeking is already in place. And that applies to both Bitcoin futures as well as the Bitcoin spot market. Does it um, 
concern you at all that this is all happening, if it does, in fact, move forward in the direction you expect at a time when the public excitement around crypto seems to have cooled a little bit? If you look at anything, Google trends, the volumes uh, traded, it seems like uh, we're in this period of, of maybe little bit less interest. Well, I would actually respectfully disagree. I think coming out of this most recent crypto winter, the investment community has never been more certain that crypto as an asset class is here to stay. They want access to it. There's not only been excitement around Bitcoin, but obviously now you've seen a slew of filings for Ethereum-based products as well. And so I think it's fair to say that crypto is not going away. Um, and not to mention, thinking about the first couple quarters of this year, crypto has been some of the best performing assets that investors have had access to throughout this year. So but to Mike's point, volume on crypto is back at 2018 levels. It is lower. It is lower. But we did see consolidation in the crypto space throughout this crypto winter. Some of the major exchanges shut down are no longer part of the fabric. But that's part of the maturation of what's, a, again, a very young industry. What do you think of the Sam Bankman Freed latest turn and twists on, on what's happening? Because you're right, some of the players have gotten knocked out with good reason. That's really not an area of focus for us at Grayscale. You know, again, we are a regulated company that has from day one always made use of existing rules and regs and paved the way for not only GBTC to come to market, but you guys have been mentioning other products trying to come to market as well. GBTC is what laid the groundwork for all those other products in terms of disclosure, reporting, operations, et cetera. Um, and so that's the compass by which I lead Grayscale and my entire team operates every day. This ruling, the, the legal ruling that comes from it, it, it is a smackdown to the SEC. Do you expect, anticipate the Congress is going to have to step in to, to lay the rules of the road for this? Well, we have been spending a lot of time in D.C. throughout this year, and I think what I'll happily say is that crypto has really become a nonpartisan issue in Washington, right? The fact that you have multiple bills moving off of committee, um, now being reviewed by a larger swath of politicians is very, very encouraging from my seat and the fact that the knowledge, the awareness of crypto, the fact that every politician recognizes that crypto is something that their constituents are involved in and that they need to act um, has actually spurred quite a bit of activity in Washington. Michael, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Great to be here. Michael Sonnenschein. Coming up on Squawk Pod, let them eat Vivek Ramaswamy, the journalist who's got a finger on the pulse of wealthy GOP donors. Puck News founding partner, Teddy Schleifer. The public square, as maligned and imperfect as it is, I think is still Twitter.com. And um, I do not think that there will be a mass migration by elites to other platforms. And if you're a campaign and you want to influence what reporters think, you go to Twitter. Where Republicans are putting their money and where they're advertising now that ex-political ads are back on the table. We'll be right back. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod. This is Becky's mic. Straight up on Becky. Three, two, one. Up on Becky. Cue. 
Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Robert Frank and Mike Santoli. X, formerly known as Twitter, saying it will now allow political advertising on its platform. Elon Musk's social media site also planned to expand its safety and election team ahead of the 2024 presidential election. The move marks a big shift for the platform. Prior to Musk's acquisition of Twitter, the company had banned political advertising since 2019. Joining us for more is Teddy Schlieper, Puck founding partner. Teddy, great to see you. You're also the author of a new piece, Let Them Eat Vivek, which takes a closer look at the breakthrough candidate's donor hype in the wake of the first GOP debate. Teddy, as a fellow reporter on The Wealthy, it's great to see you. Uh, Sure. So behind this move in Twitter slash X, ability and willingness to take political advertising, will it work? Will it chase away other advertisers that they're trying to, to bring back right now? You know, it really depends on the details here. I know that's sort of a cop out, but I am fascinated, I'll tell you, to see how Elon Musk enforces this policy. They've said that, you know, they are going to allow all political ads, except those that undermine confidence in American elections. And that's a judgment call, as we all know. And what Elon Musk thinks undermines confidence in American elections might be very different than what you or I think or what misinformation experts might think or what other companies might think. So I am utterly fascinated to see how this meets uh, what the road here. I mean, is Elon Musk going to be censoring ads that, um, you know, talk about, uh, you know, the, the tech companies going after Hunter Biden? Uh, th- these are hard decisions. And, and Elon and Linda Yaccarino especially are going to be in the hot seat. So uh, welcome to the Thunderdome because every decision they make is going to be under a microscope. Well, Linda's going to be in the hot seat. Elon doesn't seem to feel any of this. I mean, it's interesting that that qualification, if it undermines faith in the American election system, is Trump back on the platform and is he active? Do you think he will be active on X? Well, look, I mean, the other day, you know, he did his first tweet in, in years, um, his first tweet since Elon Musk take, took over. I mean, there are contractual requirements um, with regards to Truth Social, but th- sometimes I forget that he's allowed on Twitter these days. I'm sure you know people do, uh, other people do as well. Um, I- I'm amazed that he's been able to resist. I mean, he's been allowed now back ever since Elon took over. Yeah. And every day, you know, I, I have tweet notifications on for, for Trump. That's a, a vestige of an earlier era in my life. And, you know, just even seeing the Trump tweet come up, you make you you wonder for a second, like, is this real? Is this a hoax? Yeah. Um, I think he'll tweet at some point between you know now and the Republican primary, and then the Republican primary. I don't know how he can resist. Yeah, and I also wonder to what extent Twitter and social media is going to matter as much as the 2020 election, even the 2016 election. 2016, it was it seemed to be very powerful. Obviously, 2020 maybe a little less. So, what kind of impact do you think the political ads and just the political discourse will be? on X as it relates to the election? Well, look, I mean, every candidate um, has tried to create their own, you know, earned media strategy. And oftentimes that involves owned media, right? You're seeing, you know, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, for instance, has his campaign, has its own podcast. Um, But the fact is that elite conversation, which matters, uh, still happens on Twitter. Um, It does not happen on Facebook. It does not happen on YouTube. Um, And the, the, the public square, as maligned and imperfect as it is, I think is still Twitter.com. And um, I do not think that there will be a mass migration 
by elites to other platforms. And if you're a campaign and you want to influence what reporters think, you go to Twitter. And that yeah. isn't, you know, influencing reporters is not the goal necessarily entirely of campaigns, but it is a huge part of political discourse. And I'm, I'm a buyer uh, on Twitter's relevance, maybe sadly, but I am. Yeah. And, and you've done some great work on looking at where the donations from big donors, billionaires are going in Silicon Valley. I know Silicon Valley is not a monolithic place. Lots of people giving to lots of different candidates. But are you seeing any patterns? I saw that Larry Ellison is giving a huge amount of money to Tim Scott. Nikki Haley seems very popular in the Valley. Is this more a bet about trying to have a connection to a potential Trump White House, maybe those candidates as VPs? Or what themes are you seeing with the big billionaire donors in Silicon Valley right now? And who are their favorites? Sure. I mean, Larry Ellison, uh, you mentioned, you know, we we reported here at PAC has made an eight-figure contribution to Larry Ellison, to Tim Scott's super PAC um, that should be public. Uh, later this year or early next year. Um, you know, Nikki Haley does have her supporters, but, uh, you know, the, the donor community made a pretty, not unanimous, but, but disproportionate bet on Ron DeSantis earlier this year. And that bet is backfiring spectacularly. Um, you know, I, the, the sense I get from donors across the country right now uh, as we approach Labor Day is just pure despondence. It's despair. It's a sense that does anything that they do even matter? Um, You know, it's a very simple point, but it's worth stating. Trump was elected, you know, or began his rise eight years ago in 2015. And I don't know that any Republican donors have sufficiently and convincingly figured out how to make a dent in his public approval. Like, I know that's an obvious point because he's president of the United States and he's the favorite this time. But the the sense I get from donors who are smart people and capable in all their business pursuits is whether anything they do matters. So, like, I, I feel very nihilistic right now if I'm a major contributor about why not just go to the beach for the next six months and check back in on the general election. of Yeah. Trump and it's Biden. also interesting, if, you know, to that point, big donors just don't have a great track record of picking winners. You know, to your point, 2016, they all rallied around Jeb Bush on one side, yeah. Hillary on the other. Well, that didn't work. If you look at Ken Griffin's backing of various candidates um, that they, many of them haven't worked out so well, aside from DeSantis in Florida as governor. But yeah, you know, does, does money even make much of a difference anymore, aside from the fact that they don't like any candidates? Sure. And yet I mean, they still raise a lot. Right. I mean, look at, uh, you know, we've, we have a story at the puck about kind of the rise in donor circles of Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy. And, you know, this is a guy who is showing that just by being online and, you know, having a little bit of self-funding, he's put $15 million of his own money into the race, which is not nothing, but it's not, you know, it is not uh, Ron DeSantis level money. Uh, if you're just online and present, it kind of obviates the need for having, you know, a couple sugar daddies behind you. Um, you know, you are you can be relevant, but just by saying yes to every podcast appearance uh, opportunity ever. Uh, and donors in that situation kind of follow the candidate rather than candidates following the donors. Um, and I think Vivek Ramaswamy is someone that major contributors are going to have to reckon with whether they want to or not. Teddy, is that something, your advice, you know, kind of go to the beach and and write it off for six months, is that something some of them have done? Because I've actually heard from a couple of people who canceled fundraisers because they weren't getting respondents to come back and say, yes, they'd come. Well, look, this is the hardest time of the year, hardest quarter of the year to to raise money in, uh, whether in venture capital or in politics. But uh, look, I, I think there are wealthy contributors who um, maybe, maybe haven't admitted it to themselves, but know that what they're doing is, is not working. I mean, it's an obvious point, but the, the fact is that they could go to the beach because 
you know, there needs to be the, 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 what they are hoping for is this kind of donor consolidation around a candidate or two. Um, and the first debate did not help that on that front. I mean, there are now lots of candidates who have credible cases to make about being the alternative to Donald Trump. Um, and the more cases that are credible, the harder it is to consolidate against them. Right. So yeah. the sense I get from major donors is that, frankly, the, the, the biggest threat to Trump is the legal system, not the political system. Um, and that's something that donors, of course, have no control over. Um, what happens in Georgia? What happens in the Mar-a-Lago case? Um, that's what major donors might be yeah. to be banking on, not right. their $5 million super PAC contribution. All right. Teddy, thank you so much for your time. Great to see you. Keep up the great reporting. You bet. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening, as always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, live weekday mornings for three hours on CNBC, starting at 6 Eastern. To get the best of our show, like Grayscale's first interview after the victory, follow us here on Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. If you listen on Apple, do us a favor and rate us, write a brief review of Squawk Pod there. It really helps other listeners find us. And it helps us do a better job for you. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 